And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 57 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, December 15th, 2014. Well, folks, the official survey of the most liked celebrity of 2014 is out, and sadly, I have to report, it's not Joe Polizzi. That's right. According to eScore, the LA-based consumer research company, and published in USA Today, the most liked celebrity of 2014 is none other than Morgan Freeman. Rounding out the top five are Tom Hanks, Sandra Bullock, Betty White, and Will Smith. And also this week, the Golden Globe nominations came out with movies like Birdman and Michael Keaton for Best Picture and Best Actor, respectively. And of course, the Lego movie, which Joe and I have been contending all year long is going to be the first content marketing movie to actually win a Golden Globe, and I think an Oscar too. Anyway, I'm also sad to report that this old marketing didn't make the cut of the Golden Globe nominations this year. I hear the Hollywood Foreign Press didn't really like our take on inbound marketing, so I guess that did us in this year. But whether you listen to us for the blistering political debate, our sexy Hollywood gossip, or just the drinking game of how many times we say, fantastic. Joe and I are here to bring you the freshest and most, yeah, fantastic content marketing news each and every week. And if you like it, won't you give us a review on iTunes? Tell the iTunes audience how they miss giving us a Golden Globe nomination this year. All right, let's move into our live show, and of course, I'm happy to introduce my partner, my colleague, my good, good friend, the most liked celebrity of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. I'm very tired of finishing second to Morgan Freeman. I mean, how many times well, you know, is this is, going He to is the be? voice of God. He is the voice and of the God. And the penguins marched. <laughs> no, I had a, a you know, Jeff. things are great. Uh, as you know, we were talking before the show. My my boy Johnny Manziel made his first start yesterday. I was there to see it in person. And what's what's odd is there was only one play by the Cleveland Browns made all day yesterday, and it was by a fan. That's how bad. <laughs> I don't know if you saw. Did you see that? The I running did not. the running back for Cincinnati Bengals scores a touchdown, walks into the end zone, and goes to do a Lambo leap in the dog pound. Yeah. And thankfully, yeah. the Browns fan pushed it back down. That was the best play all day. <laughs> so, but congratulations to you, Cowboys. Well, thank you very much. It's a, it was I was giddy last night watching that game. It was heart attack inducing, of course, as usual, as with the Cowboys and Eagles. But uh, yes, ultimately they came away with the win and and really now control their own destiny as the playoffs go. So if they win two more. They win the division and they're off and running. It's How about uh, them Cowboys. It's, it's a good time Gotta to be a love Cowboy it. fan. Gotta, Gotta love it. Absolutely. Gotta love it. And you, here we are. I want to call out something. Last year, and, and I, I want to go back. I don't know what episode it was specifically, but last year you made a prediction around this time when the Golden Globes came out. You said next year you're going to see a nomination from Netflix or Amazon or Google or somebody like that. And here we are. I want to tell you, I don't even know if you know this, this year Amazon is nominated for a Golden Globe. That is unbelievable. Because Isn't almost it? every one of my predictions since I've been born has been wrong. So this is this is news. Was it really? Yeah, I mean, it's, seriously, it's, you're not just kidding Absolutely. Me. It really happened. No, no, Amazon. No, for Transgender, oh the show gosh. Transgender, which of course has the... Wonderful, and I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head. The guy from, 
Oh, I'll think of it while we're talking here. But but uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's absolutely it's nominated for best. It's on its best, and this is one of the things that's come up, you know, become quite controversial in Hollywood these days. Is that is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Is it a dramedy? There is no category for dramedy, so you know what what kind is it? It's nominated for best comedy. That's what, you know. That's why I love all these new players coming in because they don't have to fit it in a category anymore. You could just create. Yeah, it's, I mean, you it's, just it's, create. You can, you're making art. It's, it, Exactly. And it's really interesting because, you know, you've got shows like American Horror Story, which is, you know, really a new series every season. And so is it a miniseries or is it actually a television series? And it's it's really causing a lot of disruption in the awards uh, in the award shows. Good. We like we always love a little disruption. We want (laughs) we want more and more disruption. And speaking of disruption, there was a pet press release that I happened to catch in my feed this week. A new era begins for the content oh, you marketing did see awards. That. That's so nice. I did the, see the, that. People I still know. see the, press you know, releases. I pay attention That's to awesome. Things. Content marketing is in my alerts. I have alerts for that <laughs> stuff. Man. Yes, uh, thank you for for noting that. There's two announcements. I'll make them quickly. Uh, the first thing is, and actually it was announced today, uh, Content Marketing Institute has purchased the full rights to the Content Marketing Awards from our good partners at uh, McMurray TMG. So we're super excited about that. Uh, content Marketing Awards, the, the largest awards program for content marketing. We had a little, over 1,100, I believe, submissions last year. So they are now a part of the CMI family, and we are very excited about that. So that's the one thing. And the other thing, that which was announced last Monday, but we had already done our podcast, so I didn't talk about it, which is sort of a little bit sad for me because I launched another podcast called Content Inc., but you're not on it with me. And I, every time I do an episode, I, I feel a little Aww. bit sad. But we both were both involved in the, uh, in the art and the science behind this. So Content Marketing Institute is launching a whole new platform called Content Inc., it's launching uh, officially with the, my podcast, which I do two po- podcast release uh, episodes every week. I'm a subscriber. Well, thank to that you podcast. for that. Yeah, they're different, right? Absolutely. They're between like six and ten minutes. Yeah, I reviewed it too. I actually went out and gave oh it a review. Gosh, we need more people to give this old marketing a review too, which would be very <laughs> helpful. So yeah, two a week, and uh, and then we're going to launch a whole web platform around it, and we're we have an event that's going to be tied to content marketing world. It's all for entrepreneurs and startups around how they can build an audience first and then launch products and services second. So such a great idea. I love this idea. Well, you well, know, you I, know I ran idea, it by so. you. I said, what do you think? Yeah. And you said, I love the idea. And I said, okay, we're going to do it. And we, <laughs> here we are. We did it. It's about how it's we make all it. our business decisions here Yeah, I here think there was red wine involved in that decision. So <laughs> anyways, I know we've got a busy On to the news. Week. Yep. We do have a busy news week this week. And, th- you know, so starting off here with our top story, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because this is definitely from the deja vu all over again department. But um, this article caught my eye, and it's something that I know we've talked a lot about, but it's worth just, I don't know, reiterating maybe. But the, this came out from Forbes. Uh, Daniel Newman, who is a contributor there, talks about it. And the headline is Facebook Changes Making the Case for Brand Investment in Owned Media. 
And the article, which is a good one, I think, um, talked about how Facebook announced last week um, that any brand or individual content that they see as too promotional, basically, if they look at your content, not your page, but your content on your page as being too promotional, they're going to start to penalize you, Mm -hmm. reducing visibility. So they're not only going to take sort of a laissez-faire, we're not touching content, organically optimizing that which is uh, that which is is out there, but they're actually going to take a proactive decrease in content that they look at as being too promotional, and so they're packaging this as you know making the idea that the newsfeed is more relevant for people. But a lot of people I have seen have gone up in anger about this, especially authors. Um, especially, I don't know why authors are especially uh, pissed off about this, but. It seems it's a lot of people. And interestingly, and I don't know if you've seen this, Joe, I I had this called to my attention. I actually posted something about the Cowboys, and I had somebody go, here's something fun for you. And they posted a screenshot of a Facebook survey that they had gotten that showed my post and asking to rank it on a scale of one to five on how much of an ad this was. I'm serious. And so they had to rank it. And of course, I don't know how they ranked it. But you, maybe what it do you rank? Promotional that? ad or not. <laughs> but, but this is where we are, where Facebook is going to start using its, its users to learn about what content is promotional or not. And this, I mean, this takes that whole algorithmic change, to, in my view, to a whole I'm surprised other level. they do the surveying. I didn't know they were doing that. I thought they were just doing it by behavior. I didn't know that either. And then it was our friend Carlos Abler, actually, who sent that to me. He sent me the screenshot, said, hey, check it out. Your, you know, your content. You sure that's only, maybe that's only when the Cowboys are mentioned. I mean, that, that would be a possibility. You know, this is, of course, this is not surprising. And you and I both said this isn't Facebook's prerogative to do this. They can do whatever they want to do. And if. Now, now there are. We talked about this a few episodes ago. I do feel a little bit for the nonprofits and other mission-driven or purpose-driven organizations, which technically you could say that they're promoting their stuff all the time. But it's a cause. So, yeah. But, but honestly, I don't. I think that what Facebook's trying to get to is there. If somebody, if you have a group of people, a good, sturdy, solid group of people that engage in your pros frequently. Whether they're promotional or not, actually, as long as they engage with them, they're probably not going to ding you. They're going to ding you when there's radio silence, when nothing's happening. I I think that's true. I think that's true. And I also think that this, I mean, don't even believe for a minute that brands aren't going to try and game this, right? I mean, you know, by by asking visitors and users to click on stuff, you know, in a way. I mean, they're going to work the system here to, to, to some extent. You know, I... I have never seen anything like this in an automated way work well for people in the end, you know, in, in, as an end game here. I, I just I don't see how they can semantically analyze all of this stuff and try and make the, the feed more relevant. I just don't think they can. But I think they can decrease pages more broadly for brands. In other words, decrease the the relevance in the algorithm of brand pages sort of just holistically and say, basically, we're taking reach down to not only, you know, at this point, we're not even going to take it down to zero. We're going to take it down to negative numbers where you don't get any mm-hmm. presence at all. And in fact, we're going to ding you for it until you pay. Well, they're going to take it from 2% organic reach to 1%? 
I mean, what, like, what do you yeah, zero, what, You like, can't hurt right, me anymore, you know? Facebook. Yeah. I'm not getting any right. traffic from you anyways. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. But the point of the article, which I think is a good one, which is it's it's sort of, it, you know, it, it, as if we didn't need more. It's reinforcing the case for an owned yes. media strategy, right? I mean, he ends with the sort of classic now, um, you know, don't build your house on rented land quote. But it's, it's you know... If you needed any sort of case that that this is the this is what's going on in social, this is you know what it's, it. if if brands were doing this years ago and they were acting like publishers, we wouldn't have a problem. This wouldn't be an issue because you would be really focusing on super valuable valuable uh, information on your Facebook post. You would be focusing on your own media assets. But the one thing when I was reading this, I thought of and uh, last week we did a webinar with uh, with TrackMaven was the sponsor. And as TrackMaven was going through part of their um, presentation, they were talking about Pinterest. But I think you can make the, the the case for this could happen in Facebook. Pottery Barn was really, really struggling, and their their engagement in their posts were going down while their post frequency was going up. So they were sharing more and more on Pinterest, but at the same time, they were getting less interactions. So what they did is they, over a period of time, they really cleaned that up. They focused on less contributions to Pinterest, and now they're getting more engagement per post and they're, you know, it's working really, really well for them. I think that's the, if you're still focusing on organic traffic on Facebook, I think that's what you do, right? You focus on, if I'm going to really, really try to uh, gather engagement, uh, with my customers, with my employees, whoever my audience is on Facebook, I'm going to really focus on some amazing information. I'm going to put some time and effort into it and make sure it counts and not just put up any old thing. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think, look, I mean, it, it has been told to us in no uncertain terms that there are people out there making Facebook work. And and I don't doubt that. I think there are people who really understand how to make social work from an organic percentage and uh, you know and that game and are and are, but but I think as a general rule I think it's becoming more difficult not less to actually make something like Facebook work for your brand and you know at a certain point you have to start saying, you know what, at, to what to what level of effort am I willing to go? For what benefit am I getting, you know, out of the, you know, from, from truly a marketing benefit, right? And in terms of how how much do I need to spend, is it just easier to treat Facebook as a as a paid media model and and go that way, or do I really really want to spend the effort and money and time to actually get good at it? And it's a it's that's it's a an interesting great argument. point. You just have to make the decision if you're going to commit to it or not. Because yeah. obvi- for for CMI, we have. We have committed to the platform, and since we've really committed to it over the last six months, we're seeing some major difference. As while everybody else is hurting, we seem to be going up. We're doing very, very well, uh, but that's because we've really committed to it, and it's a lot of work. And it's but it's like anything yeah, it else. It's like anything else in content marketing. If you really want it to work, you really gotta focus on it and put a lot of resources and effort to it. And I think it was too easy before. Now it's just it's just like everything else. You just got to work for it. So, there you go. Absolutely, absolutely. On to our next story. And speaking of Track Maven, um, these are two stories that we've paired together. Um, one comes from TechCrunch last week. Uh, our friends at Track Maven have raised fourteen million dollars 
for their marketing monitoring service. And this comes in context with another article that we sort of tagged this week to talk about, which is comes from VentureBeat, actually, which identified the last quarter, the last three months, basically marketing technology has received $6.2 billion in the last quarter in terms of funding. And that includes, as they break it out, $768 million in new funding for early, middle, and late-stage startups and almost $5.4 billion in acquisitions. Um, So it's mostly an acquisition, as we've been talking about on this show for I don't know how long, that that we're starting to see some real movement in that area. But seven, I mean, almost a billion dollars in new funding for marketing tech. I mean, I don't know what you thought about this, but this just, I think this puts the cap on 2014 as marketing tech is hot right now. I didn't think it could get any hotter. I think it's getting, I think it's just starting to heat up. This is great. There's a lot of people out there with a lot of extra money to fund, uh, to fund a lot of these organizations. So, I mean, we, we've talked about it before. I don't know how much we want. First of all, we have to say, because we know the, well, we'd say congratulations to to TrackMaven, but they're also CMI partner. They're a sponsor. So we have to throw that out there. Our disclosure, somebody's going to. You know we're going to be getting a comment on that one, but no, congratulations <laughs> to the, the native <laughs> advertising. Company. Hey, yes, indeed, you got, it, you, you got to be careful these not. days, especially these days. You've got to be super. <laughs> yeah, careful. Oh yeah, wait till you hear my rant later. Oh, in I the can't show. wait. That's fine. Yeah. So yeah. I think that I mean my takeaway from this is I still think we're just getting started in this thing. I I really do because I at least from the investment standpoint, there's still so much cash on the sidelines. And there's cash, and you know, I believe in the acquisition side. That's where I really think it's going to happen. And there's so much cash on both the investment, the angel investment side, uh, the VC side, as well as uh, just with regular companies of products and services. So I really think that we're going to start seeing some of this stuff happen from a content marketing standpoint. And one of these years, it's going to happen. So. Yeah. Well, I think that's true. And I think 2015, I mean, the more I look at it, the more I've been able to, it's it's been nice to be home for the last week and a half and actually sit down with content and be able to sort of do some thinking and really immerse myself in stuff. And and the more I sort of look and reflect on what's gone on this year and look at what's coming up and look at the economic indicators and all of that, I think 2015 is just going to be an explosive year for interestingly i th- th- what i'm coming more to the conclusion of is that it's going to be an explosive year for agencies i think agencies next year are really really going to take this you know take this whole content marketing thing on and i think you're going to see a lot of acquisitions i think you're going to see a lot of money go out and i think you're you're going to start to see as well as technology certainly not slowing down but i think you're going to see a lot of noise get made in the you're talking about there's going to you say you mean there's going to be acquisitions in the agency world too so absolutely yeah absolutely yes i think there's going to be acquisitions and mergers and new you know i you know I, i could see a big agency acquiring a publishing company i could see the reverse um, you know, I mean, we talked about whether it was the last show or the show before that, we talked about the idea of the New York Times and the Shell Native ad thing where there was $200,000 of money spent on the creation of that content and then who knows how much in the media side. And I asked, I, I was actually speaking with an agency executive this week, a, a very high up executive in a very big agency. And I said, why aren't you, why isn't your company the agency inside the New York Times? And I said, you know, and it's not J. Walter Thompson. So let's, so let me just dispel with that. But just for the sake of an example, I said, so you're J. Walter Thompson. Why isn't it the New York Times studio powered by J. Walter Thompson? 
I said, that would be completely differentiating for you. It would be completely differentiating for the New York Times and save them all kinds of money and make you all kinds of money. And this executive said, I don't know why we're not there. He said, because, he said, our, our and again, I want to make sure it's not J. Walter Thompson. It's, but basically, it's our executives are so wrapped up in television that they can't figure out how to make stuff like that work. Really? That was his excuse, yeah. And it was a very interesting comment to me. That's so strange. But it's, what, what interests me the most is agencies really, really want, at least the agencies I come in contact, they really envy media companies because media companies have all these assets and, all, and the audience and whatnot. And media companies envy agencies because they can put creative programs together. That's it's right. just weird. Every, you That's never right. want to be who you want to, who you are. You know, it's just like, yeah. Well, it's, and this and this agency was like, you know, look, we don't roll out of bed for two hundred thousand dollars, and I'm like, yeah, you're gonna, right? And, you know, so that, yeah. get ready. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, yeah, right. It's like, you know, so that's why I think there's going to be a lot of activity. I think these mid-sized agencies that are really disrupting the market right now. I think these publishing and media companies that are becoming competitive to agencies. I think that whole middle part of the market is really going to be disruptive and chaotic, and it's, there's a lot of opportunity. That's where I there. think the agency opportunity is in the mid-market, because you have yep. the, the large enterprises, they have their agencies of record, and a lot of them are already doing this for them, but in the mid-market, there are, a lot of them don't have agencies. They don't know where to turn for this type of stuff, and if you're just going to focus on the That's mid-market, right. I think there's a big opportunity there. That's absolutely right. All right, well, speaking of the mid-market and our native advertising sort of quest here really fascinating article here from pando.com the headline is one way to stop native advertising is to embrace it and it's funny this article like it was like my cowboys game actually i started off by going what and then i went all right and what "What?" (laughs) and then i went oh okay i agree so it was a little bit of a you know i had sort of he took me on a really was that's a good way to put it um and um, you know, and, and I had to—I had to be honest with you. I, I had to get through some of the snark here. There was a lot of snark in this article. Um, he starts out by talking about how native advertising or content marketing—oh, I love that—synonymously calls it. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, um, getting past that for a moment, he basically talks about how all of the things that he came into this preconceived notion with. Basically summing it up to the John Oliver piece on on uh, last week tonight where he says, I basically have the same attitude, which is I think it's horrible. It's a bad thing. It's full of bovine excrement, to use the John Oliver term. And then he goes on to say, but then I went and visited my friends at Contently. He went up to visit Shane Snow and all the folks there at Contently, and he had a wonderful meeting there. And as he started to visit with them and they started to talk to him about the difference between what was going on in journalism and content and all of these things, he started to feel a little bit different. And then he came back and said, well, but it's not that, you know, it's not that he he said he wonders if Contently is actually just the worst, you know, of the best or the best of the worst. He actually used the whole blind man in a kingdom of blind people or whatever it is. And, And he goes on to basically say, I'm not sure exactly what other than to say perhaps it's best that we actually look at this as a way to move forward. And I think what he's trying to say is if we do it well, and what Contently would certainly say is we need to do it well, we can maintain that separation of church and state, as he said, and we can have both. We can have both. Did you get that? I mean, did, is that what you yeah, came away with? It was an well? interesting journey that you, you, the author took you on here for – and, yeah. you know, myself as well. It's interesting. 
I guess the first thing I thought, and I wanted to get your take on it before we go into it in any more detail, this journalism versus content marketing thing always seems to get played out, right? It's like, I can't believe it. They're, they're, they're faking it. You know, they, they, there's no way these brands don't have a right to, to talk like this. When, why do they jump to that? And they, we don't get into, well, isn't this better than advertising? I mean, like, <laughs> isn't it better? Like you're trying to give something valuable to customers instead of, you know, do you, do you get that at all? That's the one thing right I, in the well, beginning. I mean, I'm like, I, seriously, I mean, we're going there again. Yeah, it's the, I mean, look, I mean, we'll get to my rant later on in the show and what I, and you know, but, but the, the, he actually says that in the article, right? I mean, he basically says, you know, and I'm quoting him here where he says, but what about the writers, many of whom are just getting started in media and living in one ramen or ramen packet to the next, right? So, um, and he says, will accepting a content marketing gig ruin a kid's chance at it ever working for the New York Times? Not now. I don't think. You, well, right. I, well, I, why is that the choice? Exactly. Right. I mean, why? Why? Why is that the? Why, you know, it's like I don't. I don't buy the premise of that question. First of all, I don't buy that the New York Times is sort of the oh, you know, sort of thing on the hill anymore, especially with the recent history that they've had. And I don't know that content marketing is necessarily the devil's lair where, you know, us marketers with our white cats that we're petting, you know, while we plot to destroy the world. I don't think those are two – I don't think it's a binary choice. I think both can exist simultaneously, and I believe, as we've talked about many times, that brands do have an opportunity. You know, as we've said many times, if you're a reporter for a magazine, you're writing for money. It's just how close you are to yep. the money. And and. So I don't see – I guess I don't get the holy war that's going on here. I understand the difference between journalism and doing it for – you know, with a, with a conflict of interest and all that kind of stuff. And he uses the example actually in the article of the – we talked about it on the show, the Verizon um, – I can't remember, Sugar Lick or Sugar Lick or whatever <laughs> that is. I think it was Sugar platform was. Sugar string. Sugar string. <laughs> sugar something. Sorry. Yeah, it's going to be sugar. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, my mind went it's, all sorts of different places there for a minute. But no, anyway, no, I've got no, so a couple, uses, couple takes out of this that I yeah. thought were interesting. First, the, the Contently uh, folks, which, by the way, Contently is amazing at getting. Holy smokes, they're great at getting earned you know, media. I mean, k- kudos. I had to read this article and go, is this a little bit like you know are we t- you know there was yeah, a little like bit of meta is, going on there with how is there a sponsored content tab <laughs> exactly. on this somewhere? <clears throat> but you know what's interesting is now think about that how much earned because we talk about them all the time they're getting they're getting oh earned media gosh. all all the way around they're crazy but remember good this at it. they're crazy good at and it. i think it's because of i mean i'm sure they've got a pr group that works for them but they have the best owned media assets They've got a fantastic blog. They've got their own print magazine that they do. Um, they do guest posts everywhere. They do speaking everywhere. So, I mean, from that standpoint. Well, if there's anybody who knows how to talk in a way that resonates with journalists, it's Shane. I mean, he he's uncannily ta- talented. But the it. couple of things that I thought were interesting that they talk about is that they're predicting that native right now, native advertising is plateauing or possibly even dropping off in the near future. And, and we've talked yeah, about that a little with, bit, that that yeah. could – happen and as we'll see some of these horror stories for native that you're going to have some publishers actually leave this whole thing and it's like this does not work because by the way there's lots of other ways to get revenue for media property than just in some cases selling your soul okay i said it sorry 
just be careful with that whole thing. But uh, so <laughs> so that I mean I think that's interesting to see that we could have we could technically have hit a peak when you and I have talked about this native advertising spending. And I even said it I think it was last episode or the one before that I think it's going to be even bigger. I think we're going to hit even bigger it's gonna but be then bigger I, next year. Then I think it's yeah. going to come down. So I I think that's right. I think that's right. I think it and and I don't think it comes down in a soft landing. I think it comes down in a hard. But way. what was but the interesting part about this whole thing, and as you go through the article, it really comes to the point, and that's what Shane Snow talks about through this whole thing is owned. It's not. It, it, we get this into our head that this this is all about creating content so that we can share it on BuzzFeed and get all kinds of awareness around that. But right. that's not it. It's right. that it's that we want to take credit for this. We don't, and we don't want to disguise it. That's what I loved about this article toward the end, where right. we don't exactly. want to disguise it. We actually want to take credit for it. We don't want it to look like the editorial because if we don't get credit for this thought leadership, then what's the point of doing that's it? Exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's the real key here. And I think that's kind of what turned him a little bit. Although he, you know, I think he sort of kept on that well but it's still going to have nefarious you know goals and all that kind of stuff you know it's the whole questioning of our of our motives there but uh, but that's exactly it right i mean we've talked about this when i repeatedly said that i don't want to be native i don't want to be so seamless that you don't know you know what that's my right. content is i want to scream be it the best content in there i want to be i want to be so awesome that you actually like my article better than anything else in the magazine the one <clears throat> and i want you to then do something about that i want you to go wow this brand this content brand is so awesome <clears throat> i want to go subscribe to that but also you know some of the changes that we're seeing like and you you and i have seen the homemade simple example from procter and gamble forever that's, that's an right. owned media property right. from p and g the one thing i always had a problem with them around is that it took me a while to find out it was p and g well now it, it's changed they changed everything it's p p and g every day it's very well branded p and g i love that change so i'm hoping that some of these brands are starting to embrace it and saying instead of hiding the fact you know, no, we want to put a flag out there and say, this is us. We're creating this content for you. We want to have a relationship with you. Here's some of this great content. We can create this value outside of the stuff that we sell. So that's where exactly. I, I, maybe we're maybe we're starting to turn the corner here. I don't know. Maybe. I think that's a good point. I think that we, we may be starting to turn the corner. You know, I mean, I certainly have talked to recently many, many journalists who are who are really looking at this in a, in a new light and sort of saying, you know what? Maybe maybe this is something I can get behind. I guess the last thing on this one is there's there's that whole section. Remember where he's talking about like the objectivity of content and whether it's yeah, the brand right, or whether well right. well how objective because he was inciting some traditional media sources that aren't all that objective. And <laughs> the and then there was another. He didn't use it at the same one, but he, the the word newsworthy was used. And just from my own experiences in working with some newspapers, that's what we're seeing. We're not seeing objective. We're seeing what's did you newsworthy. See the last, did you see? Right, exactly. But did you see the last episode of? Uh, I did not see it. How was it? I'm not going to spoil it. Then it's just you got to see it. And for those of you in the audience who haven't seen it, go watch it. It's just for this. With if you just watch with that in mind, the question that Joe just asked, right? If you watch with that in mind, it's the last two episodes of that series. Just sort of, it's like it's perfect. 
it's just so great. But I don't want to spoil it here because it's. But too you know fresh. what's? But I just what, watched it last it, night. I will check it out. But what's interesting is, is that's how the the newsroom of today and tomorrow. That's how they're compensated on that. It's everything yeah, about exactly. getting the most clicks, likes, um, shares, traffic, everything, and that runs around news Wait till we get stuff to my that's rant. newsworthy. Not necessarily, and I didn't, you know, I, I don't think about these things because we're working on the other side. That you know, the business section of our local paper is the you know the least uh, trafficked page of all. The 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 most traffic is. Sports <laughs> and current affairs <laughs> right. and stuff. So it's right. like what's sometimes you know, sometimes you just to be boring isn't good enough on the traditional media side. So you know when you think about these things, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, speaking of being boring isn't good enough. A new uh, this article comes to us. It's our last story of the show, and it comes to us from Ad Age, and the headline is B two B content fails to engage users. And the, it talks about a Forrester study that was just done from Forrester Research that says the majority of B2B websites fail to engage users with content. And the report is called B2B Content, When B2B Content Fails the Customer Engagement Test. And it was based on a very robust uh, review of 30, yes, count them all, 30 B2B websites in six industries, technology, <laughs> software, investing, medical products, manufacturing, and services. I think there was as many verticals as there were companies. Um, and they basically identified 10 criteria for engaging content, ranging from a customer-centric homepage uh, to innovative use of video. And a perfect score uh, by the judges would be 30. A passing score was 20. And apparently, only four companies passed the Forrester test. The average score was 12.8. What say you, Joe Polizzi, to this very robust <laughs> failure of, of study? I'm here. sorry. <laughs> I, I haven't I, – this, um, this was really taken seriously by the folks at, at AdAge here for the, the yeah. 30 company – Scenario. I don't know whether this is ad age or whether this is just a great Forrester PR person. I, you know, because I, well, I, I, I well, Kate is, Maddox wrote this, and I, Kate, I love you. I, I've, oh, Kate, Kate has been fantastic. fantastic. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even see that. I, didn't I just don't, that, I just Kate don't know how newsworthy Kate this is. is. Very smart, but I will say that, um, of course, <laughs> of, of course, B two B content doesn't engage on the homepage. I mean, it's is this? It should have been called the No Duh uh, Research Project, of course. But here's here's my question to you. So you and I both know Laura Ramos, and and she's great, fantastic. Yes, works a very smart lady. Uh, does some great stuff over there. There's a section yes. in here that says using video. They they graded heavier. They weighted video. Video was really important to this research, and if you had video. You got points for it. And then if you used video in a certain way, you got points for it. Here's my question. Why is video any more important to this type of research project than audio or blogs or research reports or anything else? Because it's moving pictures, Joe. It's The pictures, they move and they're sound and stuff. That's why. It's, 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 they're, they're, they're moving pictures. I, Haven't you been to the moving picture show? <laughs> I don't get this at all. I really uh, don't. Like. It, so it's in it's I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, yeah. I mean look, the overall the look, the overall takeaway here is and this is something that I think every B2B company would cop to is that 
creating content that engages is difficult. It's hard. Many times B2B companies feel like their story isn't that interesting. It's really difficult. Getting outside their sort of box in terms of what they talk about is very, um, very challenging. And aligning that to some business metric can often be challenging. And so I think there's a real, you know, it's, 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 you talk, we, you know, we often talk about the atrophied muscle of creating great content, not being one that companies get to exercise very often and why that's why content marketing can be challenging on that score. And I think B2B companies have this, you know, look, we've worked with pet stores, for example. And, you know, when we've worked with pet stores, pet companies, that's like, if you can't create amazing content like cat videos, then you're an idiot. Right. I mean, you're you're sort of built for the Internet. And but, you know, for that manufacturing company, it might be a little more challenging to make, you know, resistors or, you know, uh, loading docks a little more you know, sexy. But it can be done. It, the value can be done, but it's not in the content. Type. Well, it has nothing to do with I mean, content type or the homepage. Or so what this article does really well is is what you're what you're talking about is if you go to most B two B company websites, it's all about them. It's all about their products. It's all about their service. Now it's set that's up right. as media sites. And by the way, I'm gonna. I, I don't know if that's not okay. In some cases. Your homepage, depending on what you sell and what your goals are, can be all about your products and services. Of, of course, course. Absolutely I'd like can. you to tell it in a compelling way, but but I don't think you can ding somebody because they say, "Well, they're not so customer or audience centric." Now, I believe they should be, but I don't know what the goals are. I don't know what you're trying to do, so I can't. I can't just. That's why <laughs> this is. You know, you can't just plug and play with content marketing strategy. You have to really sort of look that's at right. it and and figure out. The one thing I'll add to this and. Just remember this because I was listening to and our good friend Andrew Davis talk the other day, and he said there's a difference between branded content and a content brand. Branded content, yes, isn't this great? Because right. says we want yeah. to create content brands because if we create a content brand, that's all about the user. It's all about the audience. It's all about their needs and pain points. If we are creating a branded content site, that content is all about us, and that's, that's exactly the difference. Right. And when I read this, that's what I thought of. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a great way to put it. It's a great well, of course Andrew would put it so well. He's got that's the best definition when people ask me the definition of branded content now. That's what I, I throw out Andrew's definition. That's a good yeah. one. That's a good one. He should write a book he or should, something. He's working on his next book. He just told me. It's, yeah, I can't, I, I'm not going right. to say what it is yet, but it's fascinating okay. stuff. So it's oh, I, I actually, I actually do know, do know this. I, yeah, I, I forgot about so. it. Yes. All right. Well, speaking of dun dun dun, here we go. Major music gets played here. We have a sponsor that we'd like to talk about, and somebody who makes this show possible. This is a sponsored message. <laughs> I feel like this I need to say it a couple of times, but thank yeah. you so much for our sponsor of this episode, Acrolinx, which builds enterprise linguistic and analytic software that helps brands intelligently translate and manage their content in multiple languages. So basically, if you're doing any kind of translation and localization, you need to check these guys out. Love that they're promoting this with a new ebook called Speak with One Voice. How to Gain Competitive Advantage in the Content Era. That's a really good title, by the way. Nice it's job. A good, and I read it. I did, yes, last week was the first week that we had it on, and I actually went and read it. And it's, it's good. Really they, do, good. they do great stuff. Actually, it's really good. So yeah. if you are trying to figure out how you know you need to align your marketing and your technical content so you kind of speak with one voice so your prospects and customers understand you, that's pretty important. 
This ebook will answer those questions, share best practices for creating great content around that point, and then point you towards some technology that can help you streamline the process and make it more efficient. Download this ebook today and support our sponsor. You can register for it at bitly.com slash PNR dash acrolinks two. That's acrolinks with an X two and download today. And thanks again to our good friends at Acrolinks for keeping this Absolutely. show above water. Thank you very much. Absolutely. A wonderful. It's a great piece too. It really is. And one that uh, companies really, bigger companies especially, really need to. Oh, big enterprises. This is a huge, like, yeah. and just, you know, we're going through content marketing world stuff right now and global is such an issue for next year. And we're going to have a lot huge, of uh, speakers around issue. that topic. Yep. Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the show that everybody loves, which is our rants and raves section, which is where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that is giving us some heartburn or something that we want to show a little bit of love toward than that Morgan Freeman, Andy <laughs> And Dufresne. the March of the Penguins. <laughs> So you uh, have I do. this old marketing this week, so you go first. So I'll keep this. I really want to hear yours because I know you've got a couple. <laughs> so I'm going to be really quick. And I can't remember if I did this last year. You'll have to remind me. But I spent the last couple of days going through over 400 speaker submissions for Content Marketing World. I got it. And by the way, everybody listening, I, I actually go through every one, believe it or not. I look at every one of them. And I just want to throw out some things because I know a lot of people that listen to these actually want to speak. You you want to speak. You want to get your thought leadership out there. Speaking helps you do a lot of things and, and help you with your overall marketing objectives. It's really good. And if you can get out there with a book and do a lot of other things, it's fantastic. So, And we had some really amazing submissions. But there's a couple that I just – we say on the forum – Video share your video link really really helps if you share a video link. We even tell them there like if you share a video link, it's going to help you. It's going to help you more than anything else because why? Because we're going through you know 500 of these things and we've got to have a, an idea of if you can stand in front of an audience and if we can't see a video, which <laughs> is I just I think I just spent the last time right. bashing video. Now I'm bringing it back. Video is critical for this particular situation. <laughs> it's moving pictures, Joe. <laughs> this is critical. How many of the people that submitted had no video link like and had nothing? And then, and then they don't even put – like some of, some people are smart and say, you know, I don't have one, but if you really need to see a sample of me, I can send something to you. Like, And I'm okay with that. But don't just leave it blank. Here's my pet peeve. <laughs> there are people that sent video links to stuff that I had to register for. No. <laughs> At least no. 10, Robert. Awesome. I'm not kidding you. Oh, no. I go to the page, and I had to go to what? Now, that's an inbound marketing watch, strategy yeah, for you. To watch the video of them speak so they can get into the content marketing world to speak, I've got to give them my first name, last name, company, and email address. Did you? No. Did you? I did not. And okay. I mean, I, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're absolutely disqualified. I kind of want you to to see that if, then if you get a call from a sales guy. <laughs> Hi, Joe. I saw you registered for our product video here uh, that our VP of Marketing did, and we'd really like to talk to you about our. You know, solution. if I had no free time, or if I had, if I had all, I mean, if I had all the free <laughs> all time in the world, that's what time, I would right? be doing because it would be fun. Yeah. So I guess that's all. All I'm saying is, is that there's still a couple key things, and this is my learning mm-hmm. from this to everybody out there. A couple key, th- key things: you want a good video. Spend some time, even pay people to get yourself a good. 
uh, video of yourself speaking in front of people. Or if not, speaking in front of a camera so we can see how you act in front of a camera. The second thing is if you are a agency side, you usually want to submit with a brand representative. It always helps. If you're just an agency, right. most of the time you don't get in, unfortunately. If you are an agency and you have a real a book, that helps. So a book definitely helps. But just so you think about those people that want to speak, these are really important because I know a lot of uh, people that run events that if you don't have a book, you're disqualified. If you're not brand side, you're disqualified. If you don't have a video link, you're automatically disqualified. So these things are important. So And I know people take a lot of time to put these things together, and I don't want them to be disqualified over something silly. So there wow. you go. Yeah. There you have but it. But I'm not downloading. <laughs> I'm not going to give them my email address so I can see the video. <laughs> I, I do have morals and values. Yeah. I love go. that. I love that. What do you that. got this week? All right. Well, okay. So I I don't know if you've heard. You, I can't imagine you've missed it. It's been hard to miss here. It's, it is it is the news here in Los Angeles. Um, but uh, Sony Pictures was hacked uh, last week. That, yes. And uh, hacked by maybe North Korea, maybe somebody else over the uh, debut of this movie, The Interview, with Seth Rogen and James Franco. Maybe not. In other words, it basically they pulled out a lot of information, and slowly some of it is coming out, including some uh, you know, very childish and argumentative emails back and forth between executives, um, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> So it's been going on here, and it's huge, and, it's, and it continues even as we speak here. This has been a really interesting case study to me in exactly what we were just talking about earlier in the show, this idea of journalism, newsworthy versus journalism and news. And Aaron Sorkin, I, I couldn't really even sort out my thoughts. You know, I've, uh, I've been, you know, it's been dinner conversation and conversation for over cocktails and stuff. Aaron Sorkin, who I absolutely adore his writing, of course, The Newsroom and West Wing and all that. He wrote an op-ed piece in The New York Times, which we're linking to in the show notes. And so my first part of this is an absolutely sort of a, I guess it's a rave on this op-ed that he wrote and also a rant on what's going on right now where he basically says, his op-ed starts out with, here are three headlines for you. Angelina Jolie is a spoiled brat. Shocking news reveals Sony hack um, with argumentative executives. Sony's hacked email highlights Hollywood's problem with diversity, says Huffington Post, says the New York Post, says all of these, you know. And he then goes on to just excoriate the media for actually covering this. Because what he says is, and this is what I love so much, is what he says is, he says, look, it's not a proud day for Hollywood either. Why aren't other people in Hollywood standing up for the people at Sony saying, hey, this is not right. You know, this is we have to stand up for each other here. Now, that part doesn't necessarily surprise me because Hollywood is known for its sort of eat your young sort of thing and I've watched, you know, people in the industry sort of turn on each other and all of that kind of stuff. But then he says this, which I just absolutely adore and this was it just says it in a nutshell. He says, "Look, is there even one sentence in one private email that was stolen that even hints at wrongdoing?" illegal behavior, anything that can help inform or protect protect anybody in the public? <clears throat> and of course, it's a rhetorical question because the answer to that is no. And then he says, but then look, the editor-in-chief of Variety tells us that he decided the leaks were newsworthy. Oh, there you go. 
and and Aaron Sorkin is dying to ask him. He says in the op-ed, "I'm dying to ask him which part of the studio's post-production notes on Cameron Crowe's new project is newsworthy. What part of Angelina Jolie's uh, interaction with the executives at Sony is newsworthy?" So newsworthy is that it's worth carrying out the wishes of people who said they're going to murder families and have done so and everything they've threatened to do. Newsworthy, he says. As, and, and then he qu- quotes the character Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride. says, I don't think that word means what you think it means, which is just awesome. So what does any of this have to do with content marketing or marketing at all? I think here's the takeaway for us as marketers. This is a huge lesson for us in a community. In the Whether you're inside baseball, in agencies, a consulting firm, you're a blogger, you're, um, you know, you're in marketing, you're a part of a brand market. We're all part of a community of marketers, and we've got to be paying close attention to this because guess what? It's not if, it's when this is going to happen to somebody in our community, whether it's in content marketing, whether it's in native advertising, basically from marketing, from the news, for, as these two worlds start to merge, it's going to happen. And in fact, it already has. So this week also, there was a podcast launched from a company called Gimlet Media. And they have a number of podcasts, and it's done by the same folks who bring you This American Life. So a very high-profile uh, group uh, that is actually launching new podcasts here. And they're, by the way, fantastic podcasts. Cannot recommend them highly enough. They launched a new one called Reply All this week. And it's kind of an offshoot of this, you know, startups and all that kind of stuff. And, it's, and, and they've, in their very first episode, they've realized they've made an error. So what happened was they launched this new podcast episode. It goes up and it has an ad for Squarespace in it. And in the ad, they actually interview a kid who has a Squarespace site. But then what they find out, and they do the interview and everything goes fine, what they didn't realize was because somebody made a mistake and didn't notify the kid and, more importantly, his mother, that the interview was not for This American Life, which she wrongly assumed and they failed to inform her that it was – and instead, they was an interview for this ad. So she, of course, goes ballistic and starts tweeting. And she's got a number of followers. And so the tweets start coming in. And they realize they've made this huge mistake. They call her. They make sure that they, they're trying to make it right. She doesn't quite believe them that, that it's all on the up and up and that there was an honest mistake. She continues to tweet about it. You know, this is them reporting this, by the way. So I'm, I'm only going on what they said. And basically, the Twitter sphere goes nuts, saying that now this show is being mean to a nine-year-old kid and basically abusing a nine-year-old kid. And as Alex Bloomberg, who's the host of the show, said, he said, here it was a stupid mistake that we made, and we're on the wrong side of the native advertising debate because they're trying to do everything the right way, and they make a mistake, and they're on the wrong side of the debate. So now the awesome thing is, they tell the whole story. They don't know what to do. They're in the conference room. They're debating. Should we engage? Should we not engage? Should we write something? Should we post something? And all of them have excellent points about why not to do anything or why to do something. And I, I felt so badly for them listening to this thing. It's like I, I can just imagine being there and you don't know what to do. You don't know how to react here. So what they decide to do is they apologize through Twitter and they go directly to the mom and say, we apologize. And then they get a call from BuzzFeed. And BuzzFeed says they're going to write about it. And now the woman who's – she's now in tears. She's completely sad, distraught. And they're wondering now if their little brand, this little content brand that they've launched is going to be the ones that is perennially known as the ones that fooled the little boy. 
Now, I'm not going to spoil it for you because you've got to go listen to this thing if you haven't listened to it because it's just wonderful. It ends up being a good, happy ending to the story, I think. But the point of all this for marketers is that, yeah, it's going to happen. And when it does, I'm hoping that we, the marketing community, is not going to be like the CNN and not going to be like Entertainment Tonight and not going to be like the New York Post. I'm hoping at some point we'll stick up for our comrades as marketers when and if they do make mistakes because this is new and it is uncharted and we will make mistakes. And what's so infuriating about the Sony thing is it's not even their fault. They were hacked. It's not even, their, it's not even technically a mistake. And at the end of the New York Times piece, Aaron Sorkin says, he says, no one's private life can totally withstand public scrutiny. And I would su- submit that no one's private marketing department could withstand public scrutiny about all the things we talk about and think about and trade in emails. And so he says at the end, you know, if you close your eyes, you can imagine the hackers sitting in a room combing through all these documents to find all the ones that are going to draw the most blood. And in a room next door are the American journalists doing the same thing. At least the hackers, he says, are doing it for a cause. The press is doing it for a nickel, which is just a great line. But then – so what I'd like to say is I hope that in the future for this, for us as marketers, as journalists covering marketing, that when it happens to us, we won't do it just for the clicks. Anyway, that's That's, my rant. That's great. Yeah, shout out to I think Jay uh, Acunzo and and Mike Stelzner sent it over to us. It was funny because when it came out, we got a lot of notifications on it. We got a lot of Who would have thought? I mean – Go you know, but and, and and BuzzFeed in that story, they're the ones that didn't go forward with that story. So it's just, uh, it was interesting. Yeah, they didn't go for. Well, now you spoiled it, Joe. They just, just they had to go. Listen oh to shoot! It. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, it's a happy ending. It's a happy, but go listen to it. It's a, they, they're so good at telling stories there over at that podcast. It's I I couldn't. The best part about that, that, especially if you're a star. Yeah, well, the best part about that is that they they were really struggling and back and forth and what to do, oh. and it really was. I mean, we we've been through all these situations before, so it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. All right, all right. We have this old marketing. This old marketing. It's on me, and this was interesting. I thought this. Uh, so James Dillon wrote a fantastic article on CMI on December 9th called Build It, Buying Niche Media May Be Better. And you know that I've been talking about that forever. Like I think buying niche media properties is like (laughs) this amazing opportunity that we all need to look into. (laughs) So there was a lot of comments underneath it. And then our good friend Jay Kunzo again comes in and says, great point of view. And then he says, I'll add one more because James had some great examples in here about um, L'Oreal, uh, PurchasingMakeup.com that you and I have talked about. And I use the example um, of Adorama buying JPEG Magazine and, and all that. So uh, Jay comes down here and says, hey, just want to let you know, did you know what, what HubSpot did? And this happened a little while ago, uh, I think at least over a year ago, but I wasn't aware of it. HubSpot, the you know small business marketing automation platform, uh, went and bought the site Agency Post, which is a media blogging site, and they purchased that site, the assets to that site, and then HubSpot made that their agency blog. So if you go to HubSpot, I love that idea. I didn't. I had no. I had idea. no idea. Isn't that something? So HubSpot separates their blog into. I have to see here what they what they'd separate it into. I'm going here right now. They separate it into three parts. One is for agency specifically. Uh, the other one is for marketers, and I can't remember what the other one is. But what's interesting yeah. is they went out and actually purchased this, and I think that's the opportunity. Oh, marketing sales agency. 
to go to marketing and sales and agency. And they had the marketing and sales, but they didn't necessarily have the robust agency following. So they went out and purchased this and, and put it in there. And I just think that's a fantastic example. And I was talking with a group of people the other day that said, this is a big company thing. You know, you have to be a big company. You do not. There are opportunities everywhere yeah. to go. Even if there's a blogging site out there, it doesn't have to be like a traditional media site. And I just don't know when it's going to happen, Robert, but I think we're going to see huge opportunities in this area just go by a lot of marketers because they just aren't thinking this way. That's right. I, you know, there, look, there are, I think that's such a great, a great example. And I think it's one of those things where you, you make such a great point. You do not have to be a big company to go out and acquire one of these properties. You know, I, I know for a fact that there are mark, there is an actual marketplace and I'm forgetting the name of it off the top of my head, but there's a marketplace where bloggers that have created blogs that get in varying degrees amounts of traffic sell their blogs. You know, and you can actually go on and say, hey, it's like a house, right? You know, I have this property and here's how much traffic it gets and here's how much of, you know, here's how long I've had it and the, you know, the URL is a level five on Google, you know, and blah, 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 and all of that. And you can actually sell your website, you know, sometimes for five grand, 10 grand, something like that. And it's, it, 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 if you can find something with great content and great, you know, it can be a way to jumpstart a program into, uh, into something that you want to create, a content brand that you want to create. It's just a, it can be a fantastic Well, what I love idea. about it is I think there is a, a decision you can make. You could say, well, do we want to build it and put in the time and resources right. and energy exactly. and how long it takes and all and that? Really make it Or do we want yeah. to um, cut a little bit of that time off? And buy something that's already up and running that has a subscriber base that has some really good people processes behind it. I think there's an opportunity. So there you go. Yeah, it's a huge opportunity. All right. Well, what do you got? This is the holiday week, so it's coming up to Christmas time. You got your Christmas no, shopping done? No, <laughs> I don't even <laughs> not even close yet. No, I think I'm going to take the boys out this weekend, do a little last minute shopping. Nice. And this there weekend for work has been crazy. So, like, I think everybody's trying to oh, get their last Me minute too. stuff in. And yeah. then I'm hoping next week. And I know we're going to do the podcast on Sunday next week just to get a, a little bit yeah. ahead of it. So, do you got any any plans here next next yeah. week or so? I'm I I turned in you'll be proud to hear I have turned in literally over the weekend the last the conclusion it's always the last part of the book that I write the conclusion chapter I turned that into our fearless editor Newt Barrett um, over the weekend so we have a manuscript oh congratulations insert clapping Yes, very yeah. good. So um, it is all good, and so we are done with that. We're just wrapping up some of the case studies that we're going to have in there. Um, I'm spending time with images because this is a. I mean, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to undersell it, but this is a dense book. This is a lot of information in this book, so it requires a lot of charts and graphs and stuff. And so we're we're putting those together and. Um, getting some images in there. We're going through some final edits, and then I'm doing some client work. I've got some client work this week, and then like you, I'm hoping to really next week wind things down and just sort of do a little relaxation and and not. Are you going to celebrate lot. by going to see the last um, iteration of The Hobbit by chance? <laughs> I, you know, I probably won't. I probably won't get to The Hobbit um, because of the my you know. Well, let's just be honest. My wife is not going to go with me to see The Hobbit, so that you know that's going to be that will be next year sometime on a plane to Europe. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll our, see The our, Hobbit. Our but, creative director uh, Joe Kalinowski and I are going tomorrow night. We already have tickets, so very, there, you, that's <laughs> there you go. I'll let you know how yeah, it is. Yeah, 
That's just it illustrates my lack of friends and <laughs> what it really does. It's, Move it's to Cleveland, man. Got to have friends in Cleveland. LA, yeah. you don't need friends. They just uh, they just that, talk trash uh, about apparently. you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, with that, let's sign off. That is it and should be it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. You know, tweet us up, hashtag this old marketing. Thank you so much for all the story ideas you're sending in. It is so wonderful to get those through the hashtag and also through email. Um, if you know our email, obviously you've got it. And otherwise, you can send it to this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 57, we hope you'll consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher. All of those links, including our wonderful show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. Tune in next week, folks. It's our last one before the holiday. And remember, everybody, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.